You are listening to the Hunting for Purpose podcast, your go-to source for unlocking your true soul purpose and unleashing it into your business. I'm your host, Coach Holly Marie, and I'm a reformed old-school business strategist turned spiritual business coach. I'm now helping you to tap into your spiritual power and build it into a business that not only changes the world, but brings you abundantly flowing money while you do it. Stay tuned for an epic show ahead and be sure to share your listening experience on Instagram, tagging me at Coach Holly Marie so I can share the love. Now, grab your crystals, light some sage, and let's get hunting for purpose. Hello, hello everyone. If you are watching this on an IGTV or a Facebook video, or if you are joining us for the podcast, I want to give you a little rundown of what it is that you're about to watch or listen and why this is relevant to you. I am about to have a discussion with an incredibly talented Indigenous comedian by the name of Jacob Keed. You might remember him from a previous discussion that we had when the Black Lives Matter movement was becoming incredibly paramount in the collective consciousness. And we had a really open conversation about um, racial uh, injustice in Australia and how the racial hierarchy in Australia really is being viewed from both sides. The reason that Jacob and I are having a conversation again is because in Australia, we have just observed something called NAIDOC week. However, I know that for many of you, the issue of racism has kind of gone by the wayside. It's gone back under the rug. And I want to bring this conversation up now for two reasons. First and foremost, whenever we are awakened to something, we have a responsibility to not go back to sleep. This year in the collective consciousness, racism got awoken. We all woke up to racism and it is our responsibility to ensure that conversations like this keep going so that we do not go back to sleep on an issue of injustice that is causing pain and harm and imbalance in our society and has done for centuries. Secondly, If you are in my audience and you are part of the Human Design Manifestor community, this is really, really important and significant for you to be part of this conversation. As manifestors, we are part of the leaders and the visionaries of the collective. We need to be on the cutting edge of the collective, making moves, opening conversations and creating things that are what is needed by the world around us. What the world needs now is healing around issues like systemic racism and racial injustice. It is so important that we contribute our motorized defined voices to these conversations and continue them going so that we don't become part of the white masses of privileged people who simply let this bypass us until there are more protests. So stay tuned. Can't wait to have you here. This is going to be an epic, epic conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the discussion today. I'm so excited to announce that I'm having another conversation with the incredible Jacob Keed. You might remember Jacob from a discussion that we had a couple of months ago now when the whole Black Lives Matter movement was blowing up and we opened a conversation around systemic racism in Australia in particular. Um, And we really got to share beautifully his perspective about uh, living in Indigenous culture and with Indigenous heritage in Australia. We also chatted to Kai Fay, who's not here with us today, but Jacob, it's cool. We're we're happy with just your voice (laughs) for our conversation today. 
I would like to start just with a formal acknowledgement of country. And that is to say that I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of these lands and waters of all of Australia, the Aboriginal people. And I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the ACT who are the Ngunnawal people. Now, Jacob, to do a formal introduction of you, Mr. Keed is also known as the Black Harry Potter, which still makes me laugh. And he is a proud Wiradjuri, Tabaga and Camilleroy man born and raised in Canberra. Jacob has been a regular in the Canberra comedy scene for two years, but I know recently you have been popping up in Sydney as well. So congratulations for that. And he is the mo one of the most sought after young comics in the country. So at the end of our discussion, we'll make sure we let you know where you can catch Jacob. Um, later in the year, now that COVID restrictions are starting to lift and we can actually gather for amazing events such as comedy. But officially, welcome to the chat, Jacob. It's great to have you here. Uh, thank you, Holly. <laughs> thank you, now, would you like to tell people a little bit more about yourself? I know that comedy is not the only thing that you do. You have your hands in a few different pies. So, um, Tell us a little bit more about your life and your, your passion for kind of continuing to have this conversation around racism. Um, well, yeah, I have a few different hats, really. I, I work in ACT government. Working, I've been working in ACT government for like the past five years, really. Um, also uh, work on a few councils, the ACT Aboriginal Torres Strait Elected Body mm -hmm. and pretty much the voice of the ACT Aboriginal Torres Strait community to ACT mm -hmm. government. We're pretty much a conduit between back and forth. Um, that's my day jobs, but um, I also run my own consultancy outside of work, which is Nations Connect. Pretty much what we do is help with many different things from map development to um, to uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait consulting on projects. We do project management, face-to-face um, -face and online cultural awareness courses. Um, and a new product that I actually developed just recently is the uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait cultural uh, community Indigenous business framework, reflection, and action plans, which pretty much, in other words, it's like a it's like a, a rap on steroids. That's that's what I developed. Um, so yeah, and um, but other than that, that's a consultancy. But I also do my comedy, which involves you know uh, stand up comedy, writing for shows, and also um, just recently did a bit of extra acting. You know. Yeah. Surprises. Yeah. 2020. Keeps like, throwing like, out the curveballs. Hey? Because like I just got like like <laughs> fucked up. Like obviously. Obviously. Yeah. 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 They saw you coming. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but I do I do a lot of that type of stuff. And also I just want to like say a quick shout out to my boys for you know queer comedy. Hey, yeah. You know, I you know love you brother Will uh Will uh, Bill Macon. You know, love you man. I, I miss you. Um, and also Benny. Shout out to you too. Love it. I love it. Kuru Comedy. So Kuru Comedy is a, a fully Indigenous lineup, right, of Indigenous male comedians. So um, I am excited to get to a show for any of you or for Kuru Comedy altogether once we can actually start getting back out again. Mm. Um, I, just to give people a little rundown, Jacob and I have obviously stayed in communication since our previous chat. And, and when we had a conversation last time, it really was in the, the heat of the movement when George Floyd had just been murdered. There were BLM protests that were popping up globally, including in Australia. That was coming right at the cusp of lockdowns here in Australia for COVID. So there was a lot of contention that was added to an already very uh, kind of emotionally volatile situation. Um, and I really enjoyed the privilege of being able to just have a super open conversation about 
how do we make a conduit between this? Like, how do we be aware of the complexity of this issue? How do we acknowledge both parties coming together? Um, so when you, Jacob, reached out to me recently and said, look, do you want to have another chat about NAIDOC week? I'm, I'm all in. So for those playing along at home, if you're not Australian, you're probably not aware of what NAIDOC week is. Um, this is a national week of observance in Australia. So technically, NAIDOC stands for National Aborigines and Islanders uh, Day Observance Committee, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay. It's a mouthful. <laughs> and normally, NAIDOC gets held back in July, but I understand it was put off until um, November this year because there are normally a number of like uh, public events and community meetups that come as part of NAIDOC. Um, I've really, really enjoyed seeing, especially my kids, get a lot of NAIDOC recognition in the curriculum and the education this year, which has been amazing. I've definitely seen some changes in the schooling system with, uh, we now have an Aboriginal liaison officer at school. We have um, Aboriginal heritage and culture as part of the curriculum, the standard curriculum. So that's a win. Um, and that was really beautiful to see kind of come to fruition during NAIDOC week. But we wanted to have a chat today about a couple of these key concepts around NAIDOC. I think even within Australia, there's just a lot of confusion about what NAIDOC week actually is and why we have it and what it means and who it's for. Um, but the theme of NAIDOC this year beautifully is always was, always will be, which we know um, is a very, very strong motto of um, Aboriginal rights movement and something we can definitely all get behind. So let's just kick, kick start, jump on in to the whole conversation about NAIDOC. Um, the, the theme of always was, always will be, we know that this is a fundamentally true statement, right? That the Aboriginal people were the original owners of the land, despite what the Terra Nullis says. And if you don't know what I mean by Terra Nullis, then Google it and look it up. Um, but the, the Aboriginals are the original custodians of this land. And as such, the land always was theirs and the land always will be theirs. Um, but what does, what does that statement really mean to Aboriginal culture and Indigenous people? Well, I think the, well, obviously always was and always will be Aboriginal land because we have the longest living culture in the world, you know, that connects Aboriginal and Torres Strait people to this land, you know, dating back millions of years, really. Like, and there's many different cases that show that's truth, you know, based on artifacts that is found and have been um, pretty much looked at and see how old they are. And they date back stating that fact, you know? Yeah. I think I didn't, I didn't even learn that fact until probably 18 months, two years ago, that, that our Indigenous culture here in Australia is the longest living Indigenous culture. And where that really became um, super paramount was in the bushfires that we experienced in Australia over the last summer, really. Last summer, where we're talking, it was like six months, a six month period that we were on fire. Um, yeah. And there was kind of so much argument about how that was managed by the government and by our, you know, fire containment methods and fire preparation methods. And some of the voices that I really, really enjoyed listening to were those of Indigenous consultants who yeah. were talking about really honouring and managing the land in Australia. And there was so much wisdom in that. Um, and I, I felt it was so sad that that, that heritage of being yeah. 
the, the longest known living indigenous culture just mm. gets washed over. Like and that a, was, yeah, yeah, and you totally got a good point because the thing that I found funny was like, or not funny because it, it did hurt to in the end, but like yeah. I found it funny how our knowledge, Aboriginal, Aboriginal and Torres Strait the cultural knowledge of caring for the land is like, oh, well, wait a minute. Aboriginal people have been looking after this land and did manage f- with fire a long time ago. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit time we listen to Aboriginal people. Yeah. Once, and, once the land's on fire, we'll listen. Yeah, once, once, we, once we really, really stuffed it over and we can't <laughs> anything and uh, all the animals are dead and water's gone, you know, maybe we'll listen to Aboriginal people then when the world's on fire. You know, yeah. and but it's true. It, it it does paint a picture on like, well, yeah. How about you listen to us? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's hard to describe, I think, to people, especially because my audience is is worldwide. It's hard to describe to people who've never been to Australia, kind of the the balance of Australian land, how brutal it is, and how beautiful it is, yeah. and when we really kind of capture that essence and capture that energy, being in connection to the voices of Indigenous people who have been custodians of that land and have worked in harmony with the Australian land for hundreds of thousands of years, yeah. it, it makes complete sense. I mean, yeah. above everything else, it's just common sense to, to listen to that. But not only it's common sense, but when you actually start to learn about, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's like actual connection to the land in depth, yeah. you know, yes. and that can cover many different things. And what, what me and me and Benny actually like to refer to is like, like it's our dreaming, you know, mm-hmm. our dreaming it's for every individual Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person, you know, yeah. but in my case, I speak on behalf of um, Wiradjuri, Tabaga, Clan and, and Camilleroy. Mm. Because our dreaming is, it actually shows us how we actually take care of the land when you, when you actually go into depth about it, yeah. you know, because our dreaming is, it's a, it's a collection of things. Mm. It's, it's a collection of, um, you know, our men's business, our women's business, our totems, you know, our, our actual law, mm. our, uh, our cultural protocols, you know, our cultural sites. Mm. And when we actually know all of that, all of that, our dreaming, we actually know what we have to look after that is on the land. Because mm. when you break it down, if we knew our totems, because in, in our, in our culture, when you're given a totem, whether it be your individual or your actual clan or, or your nation's totem, you have to look after that totem and everything that affects that totem. So mm. in, in effect, everyone has their role to play in looking after a specific thing in the environment, whether it be an animal, plant or um or a piece of land or a piece of a riverway or waterway yeah yeah that's incredible yeah and when you go more into depth about it there's pieces of aboriginal and torres strait men and women's law and business that contribute to the land so no matter what we contribute to the land and look after the land and everything that we do yeah yeah i know as kids in australia kind of the touch points that we learn about Aboriginal culture are about dream time. And we learn the story of the rainbow serpent. Is that, I mean, forgive my naivety, but is that a totally different concept to the Aboriginal connection to dreaming? Well, that's, that's the thing that uh, non-Indigenous people got to learn, you know, Mm. and uh, no matter where you go, whatever nation and clan that you're actually coming to affect with, Mm. 
each one is going to have their own different interpretation of that. Mm. Because that interpretation comes up from the northern area of uh, northern Australia. Yeah. Uh, northern Territory area, you know. Mm. And that's, that's, the, that's the really good, um, if, if I was to give a tip out right now during this conversation, mm. everywhere is different from language to culture to dreaming to stories. Yeah. And yeah. I think we're the same. Yeah. So there's so much value in, in getting in connection with Aboriginal elders and community members from where you live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, more so than just like looking at the sign near the airport that says, this is not a wall country. Mm. <laughs> this is, I know we discussed this last time as well. There was a question that came in about like, how do you actually get in connection with people in, in Indigenous community? Like, how do we do that? And I, I love the responses from you and Kai and a couple of the comments that came through on the live as well about just talk to some yeah. Aboriginal people, right? So we overcomplicate this. We really, really overcomplicate this. Um, that's the real big issue that non-Indigenous people have is like they feel too, too hesitant to ask mm. the question because it's like society assumes them to know these things. But again, Back to back to last last session. Talk, ask questions. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologize for being naive and being ignorant, and and ask the questions. I think openness goes a long way. Yes. It goes a really, really long way. Yes. Um, that this whole concept of of dreaming and the connection to the land and playing specific roles as custodians for the land with within each um, within each tribe within each grouping. What does that mean to present day Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people? Um, I guess in, in the present state of things, really, it's, um, and as we all know, there's, there's many different things in Australian, in actual Aboriginal history, because Australia is a part of Aboriginal history. Mm. Aboriginal history, um, there's a lot of things that have affected our current state in regards to knowing our, our dreaming. You know, there's a lot of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that don't even know any of it. And that's the sad part, but there's still are avenues for them to, to, you know, connect back to their community, their culture, their dreaming, you know, but I think what it means in this day, this day and age is that there are pockets of Aboriginal people actually knowing this knowledge and this knowledge can be utilized by, you know, federal government, you know, by state governments, by entities that look after the land, you know, they got to actually acknowledge that we have the knowledge to better look after the land better than them, better mm. than the ways. And it's up to us to come together to pretty much create a hybrid of a system that looks after the land and also make it flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there's been any movement or growth or healing in that perspective shift throughout this year? I think the only thing I've seen um, it's probably two like um, in SD government. Um, they actually are um, really looking more into um, avenues, how to formalize that cultural burnings, mm. you know, which is good. They're, at least it's in the forefront of their mind and, and they're starting to look at ways to incorporate it into their daily business. Yeah. But after the bushfires this year, um, I think on a national level, I think they still have a lot more to do in federal government. Yeah. Yeah. It's still, it still seems pretty backwards to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> but at least they acknowledge that, yeah, we got to listen to more Aboriginal culture and cultural knowledge on this. Yeah. I think that's a big step. Yeah. In the, uh, 
Um, and I think it's safe to say that Aboriginal and Torres Strait people are known to taking a lot of little steps and being patient. Incredibly so. Yeah. We're still here. We'll still wait. We'll still wait for you to come to us. Yeah. Yeah. Still going. Yeah. Um, over the last couple of months, I really enjoyed reading Marley Silver's book she published called My Tita, My Sister, um, which is a collection of stories from Indigenous women, titters, sisters all around Australia. Um, and she was able to kind of bring a voice to that and, and bring these connections and lessons through. And, and one of the things that really fascinated me about that, beyond just learning more about the experience of Indigenous women, which is a unique experience in itself, was that even women who had really, really been separated from their culture for centuries, um, whether that had been from um, being stolen, the stolen generation, so they'd been separated from their, their lineage and their heritage, or um, if it had just been assimilation, you know, they'd, they'd gotten paler skin and felt that they needed to integrate more with white society. Every single story had this common thread of there is this kind of genetic cellular connection to the land and to mm. Aboriginal culture that even people who didn't know that they were Indigenous yeah. felt a connection to Indigenous heritage. And when they investigated it, they found that they were from that lineage, which is so beautiful. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I feel like on, on one side that there's been so much damage done to such an extraordinary culture of people. Yeah. But on the other hand, how freaking powerful that even separation can't take the indigenous. Yeah. Like it's, it's you know, in your cells. You know, what's really interesting within you saying that was, um, cause just recently during NAIDOC week as, as part of the many, you know, um, events that I go to, I actually went to the Irish embassy and uh, they did a private screening of, um, of an actual documentary around the Irish, how they incorporated with the Aboriginal community during those, during those early times. Mind blowing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like you'd be surprised what the interactions were because Irish people, you know, they were saw as scum compared to British. Mm -hmm. And when they came over to Australia, um, and what I actually loved about the Irish embassy, they didn't shy away from the brutal truth around, around the history of, of Aboriginal people mm. because there was some Aboriginal, some Aboriginal people that were treated harshly by Irish landowners, mm. but there were some that actually married into Aboriginal families. You know, there was, there was actually Irish farmers asking, asking the chief at the times, say, what is your protocol for me to marry your daughter? Cause I love her. Huh. And when they passed away, they actually gave the land back to their children who were half Aboriginal, half Irish, you know, and, that's, this. and this is like all the way from the Victorian border and, and the bottom half of New South Wales. And yeah. it was real crazy and interesting to see how much like that connection still is strong because those Irish people that, that married into the Aboriginal families, they fought against all them people that wanted to take their children away because in the end, they saw them as their family. They didn't care if they were half Aboriginal, half, half Irish or half white or half Aboriginal, yeah. you know? They saw them as their children, their Irish Aboriginal children, and this is the land that I'm giving back to them. Mm. Yeah. Like, beautiful story, you know? And an interesting fact, like, there was actually stories and bits of information around Ned Kelly learned from Aboriginal people how to live off the land. And that's how he survived so long from the British army. That is awesome. He grew up with Aboriginal children. On who he was. Of course he did. <laughs> hmm. Of course he did. It's actually obvious. 
it's an obvious kind of thing to refer to because how else did he stay out in the outback not knowing anything from the land? Right, right. Mm. And that, that essentially what makes him a hero. Yeah. And also, his right-hand man, mm. his um, actual cousin married into um, an Aboriginal tribe. Oh, look, we could just end the call right here, right? Like Ned Kelly, he, he was in with Aboriginal culture. <laughs> Everybody else should be. How yeah, interesting that he's become such a figurehead of uh, essentially like colonial pride. Yeah, and that's, and that's what I mean. Like, you'd be surprised how many people are connected to the to that to that Aboriginal land in whatever yeah. way to thrive yeah. off. You know. Yeah, one of the things that's really fascinated me about more conversation coming up this year about um, racial inequality globally, but even within Australia, right? We're slower. I feel like we're going pretty slow here in Australia, but we're inching forward with conversations about this. Um, and that's that there seems to be this sort of grand overlooking of the fact that the root of all of this was actually from colonial England, that the system of colonization that originated with the British empire created this. It created this in nations all around the world. That's why we've got racial inequality in America, why it happened in Africa, why it happened in India. It's even responsible uh, for the civil unrest in, um, in Ireland and in Scotland, right? And of course here in Australia. And I, I think that that's an important point to note that we still kind of haven't addressed. So we know that the root, the root origins of all of this systemic racism, of all um, kind of these displaced cultures, right? Specifically indigenous cultures and that we see in America, we see it in England, in Australia, India, South Africa, even Ireland and Scotland where there was a lot of civil unrest even though it wasn't indigenous cultures. The root cause of all of that is actually colonialism. It's colonial England, the British empire that created all of this. And I personally, as a white woman, who's, I'm first generation Australian, my father is British. And yep. I find it really fascinating that colonialism is actually being overlooked in this whole discussion that we're having this year. And I'm really curious about, um, you know, what, what understanding, I guess, or what, um, what educational wisdom is there from the Aboriginal communities in Australia about colonialism? I feel like Indigenous Australians have always been very honest and very real in acknowledging that, you know, <laughs> the British came and stole the land and that's what created all of this. But I'm, I'm curious about how, how that's kind of, I guess, talked about or understood in current day Indigenous culture. Yeah. Um, I think what people got to understand in regards to, especially if you have a background of being Irish and also being a part of British, is you got to understand that your culture created that, um, created that, um, that environment for these negative policies and legislation to come about as that contribute to your colonialism acts. Yeah. You know, because you, it's not your fault. It's it's what's happened in the past because it's. Colonialists are bringing just whatever they whatever they know that's from their homeland, and in this case, um, Australians brought colonialism ways and thinking from Britain, Brit, uh, from England, yeah. you know. And when you go back even further, it came about of the uh, what's the word um, 
medieval philosophy mm. you know that's that's when it's, that's when you bring it down to it's it's a matter of like understanding your own systems and how that was forced upon yeah. to other nation systems that don't align with their culture or their way of way of life yeah 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 i think that what um a lot of non-indigenous people particularly in australia see as the australian way of life is actually that british system that that came in we're we're just sort of this like modern day representation of history which is actually really racially violent and really racially oppressive and in, in my perspective, at least, and I hope for a lot more people, this is the perfect time, should have been decades ago, but this is the perfect time to allow Indigenous voices to come in, you know, and, and be those voices that say, we don't hide from this. We don't hide from this issue. We're not holding people accountable for, for what your ancestors hundreds of years ago did, but it's time to acknowledge the system for what the system is. Yeah. Yeah. And start addressing that. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing. And that's actually the one, see that concept that you just said there, that they don't shy away from history. Yeah. The people who I freak, who I lo- bloody commend for that is Irish people. Mm. Because no matter what they've gone through, they're actually able to state out, yeah, sure, both sides did whatever, but this is what's happened of it. And this is the actual fact of the outcomes that because of the past, you know. And that's what I loved about the Irish embassy and the people who were there they didn't shy away from the actual facts of the brutal outback of Australia yeah. and everything that contributed to it, you know? Yeah. And, and they actually, in my opinion, they actually know what the true meaning, they, they live the meaning of reconciliation in, in my opinion, mm. because they, they acknowledge the past and use that to paint the picture of the, what the future looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That. That's a, it's, that's such a, like a hidden gem for me <laughs> i'm gonna go away and investigate the history of, of irish people and indigenous culture i think that that's beautiful and makes just a lot of historical sense you know the other race that you got to acknowledge as well that really played their part in in regards to the same as irish is actually russian people too what <laughs> communist the russians, russians. They, like, there's a lot of russians that made their way to sydney as well as irish yeah and russians made their way to victoria as well as Irish, you know, and the world looked not that favorably upon Irish people and Russian people. So they, they found it more um, beneficial to be with the Aboriginal people because they were treated as equal, you know. There's unity in oppression. Oh, yeah. Well, you'd be surprised how many stories and how many cultures that blended in with Aboriginal people. Like, even in Sydney, I was told by my nan that in Sydney, there was an actual type of music that fused Irish music with country music, with Aboriginal music and R&B. I want to hear this music. And I want it too. But like they say, like they used to like, like mesh it all together and jam together back in the old days. And to hear the actual fact of that, I'm, it's mm. always curious to me. It's like, I really wonder what that type of music is. You know what's really beautiful about all of that, though, and kind of the uncovering of all of that history and those experiences is that we have this tendency now to really make it very political and to really, really overcomplicate this whole concept of, of like, genuine grassroots reconciliation. But there were groups 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that literally just got it. They got how simple it was, right? 
Exactly. Blend, blend cultures, understand each other, listen to each yeah. other. You bring your music, we bring our music. You know, I understand your customs for, for marriage and for land ownership and you understand mine, right? Mm. It, we're still able to do that. Exactly. We're still able to do that. Yeah. Like it's, is there is no limit of what two worlds can bring to another. Yeah. There is no limit. And no matter what you do, having more culture involved in together in both systems, any system, it yeah. does nothing but enrich everything and make anything better. Damn right. So agree. So agree. Take home lesson of 2020 people. Mm. <laughs> this is all we need to do is just continue to be open and have conversation and, and look at blending, combining, creating harmony. It's enriching. It's good for everyone to do this instead of this separation and this, this individualism that we've been living in, which is really damaging to all cultures. Yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, the concept of NAIDOC week, right? The, the whole concept of it. I know that this year there's been a lot of, um, I guess like public talk about NAIDOC week really being about understanding the achievements of indigenous people and Torres Strait Islanders. Um, and I don't, I can't recall whether that's really been the focus in previous years or if I've just noticed it this year and really been paying attention to like, what are the achievements and the contributions of, mm. of Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders to our country? Because there's so mm. many, you're not just footballers, right? Like yeah. you're actually contributing <laughs> so, so yeah. much, right? Like you're more than just sports people. We can recognize yeah. you for more than that. Um, and I wonder about, you know, what suggestions you have for non-Indigenous people to really engage with understanding and supporting things like NAIDOC Week. And, yeah. you know, like we've got Australia Day coming up or Invasion Day, right? We have so many opportunities throughout the year to really be engaged in this. Mm. What can non-Indigenous people do to start getting into that? Well, to get into the NAIDOC, thing, NAIDOC spirit is, you know, Ask your local Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, you know, corporation, organisation, or even community, an individual, an elder, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, what NAIDOC, what NAIDOC events you got going on, you know, and be sure they'll be able to tell you like, oh yeah, there's a family day here, there's a music event there, there's a, um, there's some tribal dances that go around there, there's like, there's so many cultural events mm. that you can actually be a part of, you know, mm. that's one way, you know, but then there's other ways, you know, like, read a book. Yeah. Simple. Read a book. If you love books, read a book. There's so many out there that are written by Stan Grant, Anita Heiss, you know, um, even individual Aboriginal sports people, musicians and up and coming writers as well, you know, and even movies, you know, go ahead, watch Rab Proof Fans, go watch um, Sweet Country, go watch um, The Tracker, go watch Australia with Hugh Jackman, you know, if you love a man with the shirt off, yeah, sure, go watch that. <laughs> like within each one, you're going to learn something whether it be a little or a lot, you know? Yeah. But to take it a step further, to actually really understand the achievements of Aboriginal people, in my opinion, is actually look at people such as Eddie Marbo, um, mm. and even the wave who walk out, right? You learn around how these movements and these pieces of legislation that got overturned paved the way for so many other achievements. Yeah. You know, because even like Eddie Marbo, he overturned the, the, the he overturned the term of the use Terranellius. Yeah. And that paved the way for our Aboriginal and other Torres Strait Islander nations and groups and clans to actually claim land because he overturned that piece of legislation that was a part of Australian 
um, federal government. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and there's an yeah. awesome documentary about that too, right? Yeah. The, the Marvo documentary. It's incredible. You know, and that's just one of many, one of many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that, that did so much for it all, you know? Yeah. yeah that's it. Vincent, Vincent Lingari, who led the Wavehill uh, walkout. And he was a man from Northern Territory that did not want to work for a cattle station that was on his land and paid little to do so much work. Mm. You know, he led the way in, in my opinion, he led the way of the first stages of Indigenous procurement, mm. you know, yeah, pay us for, to, for actually our business, you know, and yeah. also he, he paved the way on equal land rights. You know, if you're going to use our land to make cattle, you should pay our nation, you yes. know? Yeah. Which that's a huge change. That's, that was a huge like historical shift. Yeah. There's, there's so many bits of history that contributed to so many aspects of where we are now. Yeah. You know, especially, yeah. especially like pieces of legislation that were created because a specific legislation was made back in the day, such mm. as, you know, the assimilation policy, you know, because of the assimilation policy, it gave the right for, you know, police, social workers, Christians, Christian entities to actually physically take a child out of someone's yard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And because of that, you got to understand that's why Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the, are the way they are today. Yeah. And why we have specific initiatives and policies and legislation to, to right the wrongs of what's happened of those policies in the past. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, certainly the um, non-Indigenous Australians that I've spoken to, you know, we all know about the stolen generation. But again, yeah. there's this real kind of like shove it on the rug agenda of like that happened a long time ago. So, you know, that was just a terrible policy. It's kind of like that was like, you know, World War Two with the Nazis. They yeah. just made some shitty decisions and, and now it's totally fine and we're not part of that. And yeah. the reality is that the stolen generation was still happening up until the 70s. There are very much people alive, very, yeah, very much the, people to alive. To 80s, to the actual yeah. early 80s. You know, yeah. and it was estimated to be up to like nearly up to half a million children that were actually taken, half a million and probably even more that, that not even recorded, you know. And when you think about that, think about how many individuals and their stories throughout history that contribute to everything else, mm -hmm. the loss of culture on a national level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This, this watering down of the mm -hmm. richness of Indigenous culture. Yeah. One of the things that I realized about myself, especially, you know, during the whole like uh, Black Lives Matter explosion that initially started in America and then kind of made its way internationally into Australia, is that I realized that so much of my media that I was filtering in was just whitewashed agenda. It's nothing. It's, it's I hadn't looked at it before. I'd never considered that I was really filtering all of these perspectives and these images from white people. And it was all yeah. about white people. So I made the decision to, to basically kind of retrench like all of my social media and fill it with Indigenous people, Indigenous spokespeople, Indigenous businesses, Indigenous artists and creators. And in the months since then, it has had such a drastic change on my understanding of the contributions of Indigenous people to see yeah. the number of, of businesses, of artists, creators, musicians, um, advocates, spokespeople, like uh, political consultants, they're just, 
the, the movements of Aboriginal people and the way that you continue to engage in this conversation is quite frankly extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah? We're still there. <laughs> yeah. We're not going away. <laughs> still going. And I, I think that like out of any move that I can recommend to a non-Indigenous person in Australia, it's to start doing that. Start changing what you see right? Mm. Recognise that we are seeing this, this reinforcement of the colonial British system. It's what we see in our media every day, like this majority white people and white people are the ones upholding society and making the money and making decisions. And when in actual fact, we have this incredibly rich, intelligent, creative, honest, Indigenous culture of people who are contributing extraordinary things, we just need to look for it. We just have to yeah. open our eyes and get it in front of ourselves. Do you think that with, with concepts like NAIDOC Week, do you think that that's enough for the Australian people to be doing? Or, or are, there more, are there more kind of national recognition movements that we need to yeah. be doing? We need to recognise, like, in, in, all right, straight up, no. I think NAIDOC Week is just is not enough. Even if there was, like, even one day for reconciliation, even Sorry Day as well, because... Mm. Our systems that govern Australian, all Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, yeah. they are a colonial system mm -hmm. and they don't really acknowledge everyone in Australia from policies to legislation, even our, even our national anthem, you know. Mm. I think the best way that we can move forward as a nation is actually look at every single thing that we do from government processes to policy to legislation to specific acts and actually start to review them and actually incorporate a lot more Aboriginal torture on the input, yeah. you know, but then you got to, but then that sort of answer, that's, that's around constitutional recognition, even like the constitution needs to be reviewed, but then there comes that debate around constitutional recognition and treaties. Mm. Like in a, in a, in a, in a very awesome world that I'd like to see is both of them be, be evident and actually have both. But the thing is, that's still being discussed in this day and age yeah. between all Aboriginal and Torres Strait people and Australians. Yeah. And I think currently, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that we actually only have one Indigenous member of our federal parliament at the moment. Is that correct? Depending on what level. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at federal level, I think that we have a few more at state level. Um, but from my understanding, I can't remember his surname, but it's uh, Ken, someone. He's, he's a representative of the Liberal. Yeah, Ken, Ken White. Ken White, yeah. Which, which in and of itself, I think, says a lot, doesn't it? Mm. Uh, out of all of the members of our federal parliament who are meant to be representative of our nation, there's only one Indigenous spokesperson. Yeah, and that's pretty yeah. indicative of a problem. It's a, it's a big... I, I see... I see it's very interesting that you mentioned that because I cannot fathom the stress that he would be under right. as, as a level of, cause he's got two worlds. He's got a battle, mm -hmm. the battle of being an Aboriginal person inside a system that oppresses people. Mm -hmm. But then you also got to <laughs> balance that with, an, with being an actual federal government worker yeah. of wanting to see their targets met too. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like, like I said, Aboriginal people, like no matter where we go, we have, we're, we're fighting a battle every day yeah. that you just got to learn about and acknowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's time. It's time to acknowledge that. Mm. Really.
the politically this a kind of last week the NAIDOC week in Australia there's been a lot of really questionable political moves over this last week right most significantly um, there were kind of three key areas that showed up we saw that Woolworths uh, for the Americans playing along Woolworths is our biggest supermarket chain over here in Australia and after months and months of protest and conversation, they pushed through the placement of a liquor store near dry communities, uh, which are um, indigenous communities that don't accept alcohol or drugs in, um, which was a real slap in the face because Woolworths was the official NAIDOC partner <laughs> for the week. Great irony there. Um, yeah. We also saw the Victorian government pushed through the approval to knock down and demolish 800-year-old birthing trees in order to place a highway instead of diverting the highway around these really significant Indigenous cultural sites. Um, And then most most bafflingly, we saw that our um, current government in power, which is the Liberal National Party, joined with One Nation, which is a notoriously openly racist political party in our federal government, they combined together to vote down the legislation during NAIDOC week that says that the Aboriginal flag and the Torres Strait Islander flag should fly in Parliament for the week of NAIDOC, which is a legislative requirement, as I understand it, of NAIDOC week and, quite frankly, should happen every day, all year round. Um, But these are really just kind of stark experiences. When, When we're talking on one hand saying oh, we've got this week of recognition for the contribution of Aboriginal people and we've had so much kind of unrest and and conversation this year about racial injustice and and opening this this communication between both sides. Mm. And yet in the very week that we're meant to be nationally recognising it, these three big things happen. Mm. As a, a, you know, middle-aged, upper-class white woman, I feel hopeless about that. Mm. I feel angry and helpless. Mm. What has that experience been like for Indigenous people through NAIDOC week? Well, that first one around, um, wait, so which one was the first one? Not the tree. Um, the, the liquor store, the Woolies liquor yeah, store near the dry The community. liquor store one was, it's like a slap in the face to that community because I'm really curious to hear like, where has that community's feedback ever been listened to? Mm-hmm. And where in any of it did it acknowledge the effects that it would have on our Aboriginal people around that area? Yeah. You know, because that, that community would have abided by the government's wishes to be a dry community. Right. You know? So in other words, it's like, yeah, government are telling them, well, this is what you've got to do to be a dry community. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we don't care what, in the end, what how it affects you, we're going to put up put up this entity in in any way, anyway. Yeah. Not caring about what you what the effects that we've had. Yeah. In regards to the, your health. Yeah. You know, and to add to that, to go to the second one around the tree, like because I I grew up in Melbourne, man. Like I I love Melbourne mobs, man, and I love how they contribute to a lot of um a lot of culture because they they know so much from a political sense to a cultural sense. Yeah. And they know a lot about their land and it, mm. it made me sad for them, you know, uh, cause I grew up with them from when I was six to 12. Yeah. Uh, from, from like, sorry, yeah, six to 12 years old. Mm. 
And to hear the tree got knocked down, it's, it's very sad to me to hear that actual fact of what that happened, you know? And again, it came down as like, well, do you even want to listen to us or even care about our connection to land again? Which was always, always was and always will be our fuck. Sorry, our, our land. <laughs> Feel free to swear. It's fine. But like, but again, and when you go to another level, again, even inside the actual system, mm. at first they said, yeah, we'll allow it to happen. We'll allow it to fly your flag here and there mm. and stuff. But now we don't feel like it. Yeah. You know, because each, each, in each instance that you just said, Again, each instance, the Australian government system decided to go against what they first initially promised. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then it just sort of brings back to like, well, you, you have to acknowledge that this was our land. Yeah. And always will be our land. So in the end, you got to acknowledge that in many different ways. From listening to our community in that first instance that you mentioned, mm-hmm. from listening to our, our, the fact that we have a connection to our land which is that second instance that you mentioned around the tree mm. and the third one around recognition of us connecting to our own flag which we need in your system yeah because how else are we going to show that you are acknowledging us as people of this land which in truly is a fact from day dot right right and yeah. i the the arrogance i feel of of our systems whether it's our corporations whether it's our governments the arrogance of that to to do all of that publicly during nadoc week yeah it it just i feel like it's one of those experiences like so much other stuff that we've experienced in in 2020 where it's so appallingly obvious that it's wrong so obvious and that's almost the purpose of it right if, mm. if we get philosophical about it like it this is much like the trump election in the states it was so appallingly obvious that that was terrible and destructive and bad so it, yeah. it kind of collectively leaves us with no other choice except to say okay now we need to address this now something mm. needs to happen about this if we've got a corporate partner of nadoc week who is publicly saying Sure, as Woolworths, we're, you know, we're the official partners and we support the recognition of Aboriginal and, and Islander people here in this country, mm. but also we're going to go against your wishes and put in a liquor store that you don't want. And then we've got our state and federal governments, you know, destroying the land rights of Indigenous people um, and additionally not even paying the honour of flying a flag, which costs yeah. nobody a cent <laughs> and, and obviously is... is um, part of some some backdoor arrangement, you know, politically mm. speaking, that that's probably uh, between the Liberal Party and the One Nation Party. You know, we'll scratch your back this time, you scratch our back another time. And Aboriginal people have been the sacrificial land once yeah. again for that. And mm. right, does this not show us now that enough is enough? Are we done seeing yeah. these things now? Well, that's a sad thing, you know, because like, you look at it, it's like. There's three examples showed Australian government's like contribution in how you hurt our people, you hurt our land, yeah. and you hurt our honour by it's like a triple whammy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Land, people and, and our our identity. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just described colonialism, Jacob. Pretty much. Because you break that down. Like you, you hurt the people, you hurt, you hurt their land, 
in whatever resources they have mm -hmm. and you take away their identity. Systematic destruction of a culture. Yeah. Yeah. What else do we have? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I hope that even just bringing light to that in this conversation is enough to spark people. Yeah. To, to wake the fuck up a little bit mm. and see this. Like I'm, like I'm really hoping that, because like in my space where I'm working with a lot of non-Indigenous people, I've seen so much people grow into better people for this mm. type of stuff. You know? mm. and, uh, and to see them just grow as individuals to understand more about Aboriginal and Torres Strait culture, but how we've been affected from, from start to current, yeah. you know? And these are the people that learn this and actually think of actions and tangible actual uh, actions for better outcomes. These people are not indigenous that acknowledge what has happened in the past. Yeah. 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 Which is the way forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like the Irish, you know, like the Irish. <laughs> Everybody get in connection with the Irish. That's where it's yeah. at. <laughs> so, I mean, personally for my own benefit, but I think this will be really helpful for other non-Indigenous people too. I feel that the kind of the next most significant event coming up for this discussion about racial injustice in Australia is the 26th of January, looking at Invasion Day slash Australia Day here in Australia. Um, and this has kind of been growing, I think, in awareness over the last few years that Australia Day is not just a great day to have a barbecue and go to the beach, but that we're actually celebrating the invasion of a culture and a people yeah. and, and a destruction of a way of life. What, as an Indigenous representative, what would you call people to do or to start thinking of or discussing around the 26th of January? Really learn what Captain Cook did. Yeah. Learn literally what it did. It's like, if I put it, I had to put it simply, right? if all Australians that aren't Aboriginal learn the fact that Captain Cook claimed this land on behalf of England, saying that no one actually was here, which allowed England to claim Australia as their own. Yeah. Captain Cook did something really, really bad. Yeah. He led the way of Aboriginal land being taken away from Aboriginal people. That's one little fact that you got to really drill into the mind of every Australian person yeah. because what he did led the way of so many bad outcomes for Aboriginal people. Don't celebrate him. Just learn. Don't, don't idolize him. Just mm. learn what he did and the, mm. and the effect that he had on Aboriginal people. Mm. But yeah. you know, to lighten that up, let me say a joke. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hit me with this friend. Go for it. All right. Captain cook, right? We call him captain soup. Okay. Uh, now, yeah, bear with me on this one. And this right. is actually true, okay? I'm following. Um, I found out that Captain Cook, did you know, you actually know how he died? I don't. All right, so he died in Hawaii, right? Okay. Yeah, in, in battle of trying to colonialise that area. Oh, <laughs> and um, congrats, when he buddy. died, he actually got boiled alive for his bones because Hawaiian people allegedly find um, that if you take someone's bones, you take their spirit, you take their their hana or something like in other words right yeah same in fijian culture yeah yeah right yeah. and when you when you think about it so captain cook right he got cooked <laughs> it's kind of a fitting end right really? to die. 
hard by your last name. Like that makes me so happy. And actually I can live the rest of my life happily, right? That my today's the state what it was. As long as your 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 idolized Captain Cook, yeah, he died by being cooked. So that's on you. That gives a whole new meaning to like karmic balance, right? Oh yeah. And like get on the right side of history. Peace. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to take yeah. that with me for a long time to come. Captain <laughs> Cook, they are cooked. They got eaten. There you go. So good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having this conversation, for bringing your intelligence, your intellect, your articulate speech, your humor. You bring so much to this conversation and I continue to be honored to to have this connection together and and um have this openness to continue discussing this it's so beneficial just for me right but i i know that this is really beneficial for so many other people so thank you thank you thank you for being here i would love for you to share with people um where they can catch up with you perhaps with a show or something else that you're doing locally in the future um and if there's any option for people to like watch stuff online if they're not local yeah, um, to the Canberra space. If you look up uh, Jacob Keed, um, com- comedian, musician on, on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. I've got, got a page on there. Mm-hmm. Also on Instagram, you know, Jacob Keed one um, at Jacob Keed one. But, um, but I, I hit up the, the open mics here in the ACT comedy rooms, you know. Um, so please, if you're in ACT or you're visiting ACT, please come and visit some of the open mic rooms. Not only you'll see me as a comedian, but there's a lot of other talented comedians here. Mm. Um, I want to give a shout out to Type Five, uh, Type Five Comedy, um, one of the uh, comedian um, movements that allow non, um, or a lot of cultural backgrounded comedians to actually go up and perform their art. You know, oh, um, cool. so shout out to them. Um, go check them out. I'm going to be performing for them in December. Oh yeah, awesome. Um, I think, and uh, and also just again shout out to Kuri Comedy, but also the other Kuri Comedy and Murray comedy that's going on in all of Australia. Check them out, like Steph Tisdale, Kylan, um, Abram, um, you know, uh, Kevin Caputinuri, Sean Chilbera, Benny, Benny Egmelisi, Kai Fay, Bill Megan, everyone, you know what I mean? <laughs> Check them all out, you know, because no matter what you look at, their comedy will teach you something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Truth delivered with laughter. Yes. Great way to swallow it. <laughs> that is awesome we will have all of jacob's contacts tagged below if you're listening to this on the podcast you can catch it in the show notes if you're watching this on the video we'll be tagging him in each of the installations of this video so it's super easy to go and click and follow along um i can vouch that jacob's social media is funny i've been following it (laughs) it's worth a follow and definitely if you're local get out to watch a show when we can get out again with our own one kilo supply of hand sanitizer inject no doubt thank you so much again for being here jacob it was a true honor to continue the conversation with you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of hunting for purpose if you love this episode don't forget to take a photo or a screenshot jump on over to instagram and tag me at coach holly marie on your stories or your posts so that i can share the excitement with you We will definitely be meeting again on the next episode, but until then, keep hunting for your purpose, babe.